It's the Breakcast. Breakcast. The PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Listen to the show. Because you're in for the PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Oh, Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Breakcast. My name is Bill Bodkin, the editor-in-chief of ThePopBreak.com. Welcome to our Logan podcast. I just want to do this quick intro to let everyone know there are major, major spoilers going to be discussed throughout this podcast. So if you have not seen the movie Logan yet, please, please, please bookmark this podcast and come back to it after you've seen it. we do not want to spoil this movie for you uh, at all. However, if you don't care if the movie is spoiled for you, feel free to go ahead and listen. Uh, this podcast is hosted by our film editor, Dan Cohen, and features our uh, Logan reviewer, uh, Tommy Tracy, who caught a, an advanced screening in Chicago uh, about a week or so before the film came out. So these guys will be discussing everything about the film. Once again, spoilers ahead. Don't forget to check us out online. We are thepopbreak.com, at popbreak.com on Twitter, uh, forward slash popbreak.com on Facebook, at thepopbreak on Instagram. Have, enjoy. That lovely introduction. Yes, I am Daniel Cohen, a film editor at thepopbreak.com, and I am here with staff writer Tommy Tracy, and we're here to talk about Logan. And we're just going to dive right in because there's not going to be any mystery here. Okay, there's no uh, beating around the bush. We, we both freaking love this film, just like everybody else. Tommy, I've been scouring the internet trying to find, like, any negativity, like, any point of contention about this movie. It's just simply not there. And we're going to get into all the, it, like, it, this is going to be a 60 to 90 minute love fest for this film, okay? We're, we're going to get into all the finer details, all the unbelievable performances in this movie. There's a few. Uh, and just, we're, we're, we're going to get into it. And as Bill, uh, set up in the beginning here, you know, spoilers on. So if you have not seen Logan, pause, come back. Go see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that goes without saying. I mean, definitely <laughs> go see. yeah, if you're wondering, gee, you know, should we go see it? Uh, you know, would you guys recommend the movie? Yes. We recommend you go see Logan. Uh, but if you've seen it already and you want to hear a, a great conversation about the film, that's about to happen right now. So let's just get into it. Tommy, you reviewed the film on the site. You gave it a great review, 10 out of 10. You clearly liked it. Uh, so just go ahead and hit me with your thoughts, your overall view of Logan. Uh, sure. Well, uh, as you said, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I saw an early press screening for this, which I was incredibly lucky to get. Um, and I just went in there with about 10, 15 other writers. It was a pretty small theater. Uh, and we were all excited, buzzed to see this. Um, and once it started, it was just go time from there, I think. Um, nonstop in my book, Thrill Ride. Uh, I've never seen Hugh Jackman better. I've never seen Patrick Stewart better, and I've been watching Patrick Stewart since I was a kid in The Next Generation. Um, I think this was a pretty amazing character study of a comic book character, or comic book characters, if you will, something you don't really see in comic book movies today. Um, they mix the action with the drama, with the beautiful cinematography, a little bit of a Western feel. It kind of had a whole package 
that I didn't expect from it. I was excited, and I didn't expect this movie to be this great. Yeah, you uh, you said it best. Um, you know, when you say it, it's a it's an amazing you know comic book character study. I think, and Logan Logan does what all the best superhero movies do in my opinion, like the Dark Knight trilogy, some of the some of the better X-Men films, and sorry, in my opinion, Man of Steel does this. You know there's a disagreement there, but what they, <laughs> what they do is they dig in to what the essence of these characters are. It, it's, the, it's the bare essentials of who these people are. And look, through all the rated R violence and brutality, which was all exhilarating to watch on screen, and we'll talk about it, don't you worry, uh, to me, why Logan stands as one of the best superhero movies ever made is because it is not afraid to dig deep, baby, into the soul of who Wolverine is. And this is a guy, he's cursed. And you really see it in this movie why he's a loner. You know, this is a, he's lived for what, close to 200 years, something like that, if we're going off the crazy timelines? I mean, yeah, about. Right, right. So this is a guy who's known nothing but you know, death and pain from all the people around him. And not only that, it's through two timelines. So like he, he's, he's had to go through this stuff twice in some cases. Um, I think that if you remember the 2013 movie, the Wolverine, I mean, it doesn't, does a good job of digging into who he is, but they were held back. You know, director James Mangold was definitely held back, but you could tell there was a huge potential there. So I'm glad that he came back to direct this film clearly um, but Wolverine, I mean, he says it best towards the end of the film. Uh, and what, I think what the line is basically like, you know, everything around me goes to shit. And this is kind of towards the last leg of the film, and that's exactly what happens. But for all the loner aspects of Wolverine, Logan, you know, whatever, when it's gut check time, there's just there's always something inside of him that says, like, I have to answer the call. And that's the way the character's always been for me. I mean... And you see it in this film, whether it's, you know, he feels like this responsibility to take care of Charles Xavier. Uh, you know, when he takes on the job from, um, I forget the mother's name, but, uh, you know, when... Like Gabrielle? I yeah, I think it's like Gabriella, Gabriella, something like that. So, right. So he takes on the job, and I know he just says, oh, yeah, I'm just doing it for money. We, of course, know as an audience from seeing Wolverine in previous movies, we know he's really not doing it for the money. He's There's a desperate need to help somebody. And then, of course, at the very end, you know, saving the kids. There's just always, you know, every time he's about to leave or lose all hope, there's always something that, you know, he's got to go back for. And, of course, he's a very flawed hero. You know, I think it's interesting because, like, you want you, we can talk about the character arc for him in this movie, but there's definitely, like, a very traditional Wolverine character arc, you know, very reluctant hero, and at the end, he's the hero. Um, but that's the way the character's always been. I actually think like he's the same guy that he's always been at the end of this movie, which I really think works for him in this film. Uh, but just the way that they're able to tell this story in such a visceral way is why this movie stands out to me. So many powerful moments. Don't worry. We are going to get into it. We're going to get into all the great performances. I mean, Patrick Stewart, we'll talk about him. Uh, and then um, forgetting, should probably have it pulled up here. The the girl who played the uh, who played Laura. I mean, she was fantastic. Uh, Daphne Keen. Yes, thank you, Daphne Keen. She was fantastic. We'll talk about that. Um, look, I, do I have a couple criticisms? I mean, yes, like very minor though. We'll get into that later. But where this for someone like me who 
I've I've loved this X-Men series since the very beginning, since 2000, that first movie. And I've never wavered. Have there been a couple M movies? Yeah, there's been a couple M movies. But I've always loved this series. They have been some of my some of the better superhero films, in my opinion. So when you finally get to that ending scene, those last two those last two moments, talking about his actual death, which we'll talk about, and then just the final image of the film, which I was just so overwhelmed by. It's just such a simple thing. It's such a subtle moment. You know, you got the cross there, and then she kind of goes up to him, like, what the hell is she, like, what is she doing? And then, of course, she turns it around to an X. You can't end the film a better way than that. And to me, it's the kind of ending that it it rivals, I'm not going to say it's as good, but it's pretty damn close, rivaling the ending to The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises for me as well. Um, So as someone who's been a big fan of this series, I mean, that, that hit me hard. And it's not like, and I was, you know, I was just kind of like overwhelmed when the movie ended. It really was starting to hit me like an hour after I saw the film. That's the kind of effect this movie has on you. It's such a great film. And let's just get into the specifics here because I I, want to actually talk about the very first scene of the movie. Um, Because to me, I felt like, and we're talking about when he's at the car, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's got, you know, alcohol spewed out over the limo. Uh, and it's a, it's the perfect way to set it up. It's twofold, right? Because in one sense, it it drags you right into the film. Yeah, it's an R rating. They don't waste any time. It's just so funny to me because it's like the first five minutes of the film that you already get the best, you know, brutal Wolverine berserker blood, you know, blood infused adamantium claw scene that you've ever seen in like eight X Men films or whatever. So he slashes him up pretty good. But the other, the other reason why this scene sets up the mood movie so perfectly is because, you know, he sees these punks, right? So you're thinking to yourself, oh, he's going to slash these guys up in like two seconds. He's about to dominate these guys. Well, he slashes them up pretty good. You know, he takes a pounding from these no-name thugs. And you can see, like, his claws can't even extend out correctly. The healing is not working. So right right away, you see that this guy, he's vulnerable. And that's why it was just the perfect way to set up the movie. It gets you in the right mind, the mind frame. But, uh, Tommy, what, what did you think about that first scene? Yeah, as you said, uh, he, he sort of takes a beating right off the bat. And it I kind of harken back to X2, where he uh, is in the mansion and goes berserk. And he mm-hmm. takes out, what, 50, 60 guys, no problem. Crazy. And in this, he can barely take out five, I think it was, four or five. Uh, he's obviously weathered. Uh, you hear him coughing and you see him sick. And then you find out a little bit why later. Um, but he is definitely a different Wolverine than we've seen in the past. Uh, he has, as you said, his claws can't extend. I think it's the left claw on his on his left hand isn't extending all the way so he's not getting the full force behind that uh he just gets his ass kicked but in in the end he's still uh <laughs> he still fucks these guys up in the long run honestly yeah and that's and that's what's so great about the setup to this movie it's like it's um you know i i posted something on facebook after i saw it and i just said you see him at his strongest and at his weakest like at the same time um because we've never seen wolverine slash because now this is rated R, so they have the freedom to do that. So we've never seen him slash up guys like that before. 
Um, but at the same time, like these are, and you, you mentioned X two. that's a great comparison because those were like trained soldiers. Right. And he's yeah. just like, he's dropping them like flies. And these are just some like drunk, you know, ass clowns. And he can like, he, you know, he takes a lot of good shots. So it's just, you, you know, from the start, like James Mangle and Hugh Jackman, like they're, they're not, they're not messing around here. And I, and look, I, I knew I was going to love this movie from the, sometimes you just know. Okay. And I know from I knew from the trailers like there was no fear of like oh I'm gonna be let down or anything. Sometimes you just know. And when that first scene started, I knew right away that we were gonna get one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. But um, we talked a lot about well, we're, there's gonna be more to talk about with Hugh Jackman. Don't you worry. Uh, but let's circle back to him in a minute because I gotta say, the first half of the film, Patrick Stewart stole this movie. Uh. Tommy, for you, you said you were a Next Generation fan, so you, you've been a Patrick Stewart fanboy for a while, right? Describe have... to me, describe to me, you know, kind of Patrick Stewart's turn as this character, as Charles Xavier in Logan. Sure. Um, I mean, I think it's safe to say Patrick Stewart's pretty great in everything. <laughs> um, and especially as, you know, Professor Xavier, I grew up watching him as Professor X as well. But he is a completely different character in this film he's um beaten down he's broken uh they allude to the fact that he may or may not have killed the rest of the x-men or the rest of the mutants Mm -hmm. which is sad to think because he's always been the protector of these people that powers he's always the one who's like i will i will protect you i will show you how to use them properly and to think that the greatest mind in the world per se could have killed them all is hard to swallow a little bit. I remember the first time I saw it, cause I've seen it twice now. Uh, I kind of had my fist in my mouth, not out of like crying, but sort of biting my hand. Like if he killed these people that it, that's got to take a toll on him. And you see it, he's old, he's dying. He is tortured for the fact that he probably killed these people. You see it with the, um, the seizures. I think they say he has. Yeah. And he almost kills a few of the other mutants later on. Logan included. Um, Patrick Stewart, I think, was just like, if this is my last hurrah, which I think it is, I'm going to go out with a bang, and he sure did. Yeah, th- no question, and you're right. I mean, I, you know, I kind of like that they they played it a little coy, like, you don't really get the full story of what happened. And by the way, I don't, like, I don't need to see that movie. I'm sure there's going to be people walking out of saying, like, oh, we got to see how, we got to see what transpired with that. I don't need to see it they kind of allude to the fact that he was probably responsible for something really bad. Will we get the full details? I don't know, but I think the imagination makes it a little better. Like I can imagine something different than what you can imagine with what another audience member can imagine. I think that makes it a little more impactful. I, I, I could not agree with you more on that. Just let it, you know, there's already enough. We already get enough spinoffs in movies, uh, you know, ruining my imagination for things. I'm not going to get off on a rogue one tangent, but you know, yeah, the hole was already there as planned. I I don't want to talk about Rogue One. We're, this is a happy day. We're talking about Logan. But you're right about Patrick Stewart's performance. And to me, what just hits you so hard is you can – when he goes up to uh, – when we first see him, uh, when Wolverine is driving up to where they're keeping him and Caliban are keeping him, and you can hear him rambling in the background, and it's just soul-crushing. Like, this guy, you're right. He's on his last leg. But um, I think th- what really impacted me about some of the early scenes between 
Xavier and Logan was, you know, these guys, they've been through so much together in all these other movies. I always, I also said this in my Facebook post, like, you don't have to see any of the previous X-Men films to appreciate just this as a great movie, but it certainly helps. <laughs> right. Just so you can get the emotional resonance between those two characters. And when Xavier says the line to Logan, you know, I'm disappointed, you know, disappointed in him. Oh, like that just like rips your heart out. I mean, just these guys, they've been through so much and they've been through so many ups and downs. And this is it. Both characters, they're at their lowest point and just, and to see the look on Logan's face because he knows it too. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a disappointment right now. And that was really hard. That was a really hard line to take, but certainly one that was powerful. Um, right, right. What, it's, a, it's a big, it's a father son dynamic, I think, between the two. I mean, you feel like these two have been with each other. It's got to be what forty years in the X Men timeline at this point. Something maybe like fifty. That, right. Yeah. So they've been through a lot. <laughs> right, and they've been through a lot in two different timelines. It's just, I mean, when you mm-hmm. really wrap your brain around, and I know that you know the movie's not going to really make reference to the crazy sci fi stuff because they kept it grounded as they should have. But we know as audience members what they've been through. Um, I, and I just, yeah, Patrick Stewart, I mean, I, this is, I think you got to say it's his best performance as the character. Hands uh, down. Yeah, he, he's just so, it's just so sad. But what I loved about it was that once Laura comes into the picture, Charles Xavier, man, he's still fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that mutants are basically, they've nearly been extinct, um, you know, it's just that, you know, that dream he had so many years ago didn't really come to fruition, but he's still like, he just still is clinging on to this idea of hope, you know, through this, uh, you know, through Wolverine's daughter now, as we can talk about later. So the, and that's what I was talking about earlier. It's just like the essence of the characters are still there, despite the fact that these guys are at their lowest point. Um, and just as this kind of, you know, decrepit, really sad kind of old guy, He's still trying to impart this wisdom onto Wolverine, uh, you know, just to just to bring this guy hope. Like we still we got to fight to the bitter end. I love that about the character. Right. Uh, I you, there was a small turn for him as well when he uh, when Logan first gets in there, gives him his medicine, and he becomes Xavier again. He remembers who Logan is, and to hear Patrick Stewart say "fuck" was <laughs> strange. Uh, and I think he did it in Ted as well, but it's kind of like hearing your old grandpa cuss and say dirty things, and he kind of lays into Stephen Merchant's Caliban a little bit and calls him a Nancy boy, essentially. It's just something you don't expect from Patrick Stewart, and he played it perfectly. I think he called him like a. It was like something like that albino is like really like you drive me crazy. Something like he said, right. I was like, whoa, that came from Charles Xavier. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in- incredible performance. Uh, we'll talk at the end of the at the end of this. We'll, we'll get into some of the like insanely ridiculously early Oscar buzz around this movie. But let's put a bookmark in that for now. All right. Well, you mentioned Caliban. Um, this was a character I didn't really think too much about going into the movie. I like Stephen Merchant. I thought he was a good choice for the guy. Um, you know, nothing about this character blew me away or anything. But he served his purpose well. And I thought that. I mean, I think the best part about Caliban was his kind of this husband and wife banter between him and Wolverine. <laughs> um, he, Old married he, couple. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I thought that, I thought that Merchant provided 
much, much needed levity in the movie. And it's not like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like Marvel humor that's shoved in your face. It was very subtle and just very low. But um, it, it was it was nice. I mean, you definitely needed some of those moments. Uh, and so, you know, I thought they used his powers well. And, of course, just kind of he has this big heroic moment at the end where he basically launches the grenades into the van. Uh, but I enjoyed Calvin quite a bit. Yeah, I liked him a lot better uh, from Stephen Merchant's point of view than in Apocalypse where... Uh, yeah, he was a throwaway character in Apocalypse. Yeah, Tomas Lamirki or Lamarque. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, but uh, played him, and he was a completely pointless character. Uh, but I think Stephen Merchant made uh, like did did this role very well, and he he was kind of needed in the film for later with the villains, kind of to track them down. Uh, as it is a road movie, at least I thought it kind of reminded me of old road movies from the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, the the good guys, and I'm putting that in quotation mark are right. running away from the bad guys again in quotation marks and they have someone who sort of tracks them and finds them and Caliban was uh trying to give them the the keep them one step ahead which I thought was good so you're like oh he's gonna he's gonna turn on Logan and Professor X but he actually tries to keep them one step ahead every time and unfortunately he fails in the long run but he gets his last laugh with the grenades as you mentioned even like and poor Calvin I, he gets treated like crap of this movie <laughs> Like, even by by Wolverine, who's, like, kind of an asshole to him. Um, And you even, like, I mean, there's even kind of, like, this understated thing, like, oh, could, uh, you know, could they leave him behind when they go on their little boat trip together? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they would have brought him along, but, yeah. He would have had to stay under deck the whole time, though. His uh, skin burns in the sun. Yeah, he would have had to stay under deck. He would have had to wear, like, 85 layers of trench coats or whatever. Um, But... (laughs) Yeah, look, he Merchant. He, he, I think you really needed someone like Stephen Merchant in this movie. He played the character great. But um, look, we gotta look if we're if we're talking supporting characters. I mean, let, let, let's just get into X. What is it? X twenty three. Laura. X twenty three. Look, this is look when you look at when you look at kid performers, it's always going to be a crapshoot. Okay, I mean, you know, are you gonna get are you gonna get Haley Joe Osmond from The Sixth Sense? Or are you going to get Jake Lloyd from The Phantom Menace? I mean, you, I was you, hoping you would bring up Jake Lloyd. <laughs> I, I mean, look, sadly, you know, I you know feel bad for the guy, but you got to do it. It's just, I mean, but look, th- more George Lucas's fault. He can't direct actors. Right. Podcast for another day. Um, but let's talk about Daphne Keen as Laura. I, I just look, it was a great performance, and I can sum up her performance best like this: is I'm telling you right now. Now you've seen the movie twice. Uh, I will be seeing it again shortly. Don't you worry. Um, there's, it's an early, it's, it's early in the movie, but when she's eating her cornflakes, I'm telling you, go and watch that scene and then watch some of this and then watch some of the scenes probably in the first X-Men movie where Wolverine's sitting at the bar, kind of like staring behind him as he kind of senses something's going on behind him. Identical. It was incredible. Yeah. I didn't think about that until you started mentioning it. It was very... Very similar. The way she like she's like kind of look her eyes are looking behind her. That that is Hugh Jackman in the first Wolverine. And you're not gonna tell me that wasn't on purpose. Incredible. I this this actress, you I mean, I'm sure we'll see her again in other stuff. Uh I mean maybe even an X twenty three movie. We'll we can talk about that later. But uh intense, funny when she needed to be, you know, when she needed to be the innocent kid, she was that. Um you know, grabbing the sunglasses, uh, you get those just ah, those heartbreaking moments when she uh, when she grabs Logan's hand when they're burying Charles Xavier. 
Um, mm-hmm. We'll get into that scene later too. But uh, yeah, thoughts on thoughts on uh, what's her name? Daphne Keen. Thoughts on her performance. Daphne Keen. She, uh, she was, as as you already mentioned, just incredible. The way for the first, I want to say, hour and a half, she doesn't say a word. She is, uh, besides grunting and you know when she's fighting, but she is all physical performance. Her eyes, the way she moves her body, uh, the way she interacts with Logan, just completely silent. There's the scene, I think it was in the, the second trailer, perhaps, where she's uh, eating the Pringles and has the sunglasses on. Yeah, 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 yeah. second see, trailer. Yeah, you see kind of like a, a lion, like a, a lion cub. Uh, it doesn't know how to handle anything, but it's ready to kill. That's that's how I felt about X twenty three and this little girl. She's probably eleven, maybe at the most. I think so. Uh, yeah, she played it perfectly, and it, some of it goes to the directing and the writing. But I think she took probably the notes that everyone gave her, and she did a great job. And you don't see that with children actors very well, or very much anymore. No, this was the best kid performance I've seen since probably Jacob Tremblay in Room. Um, yes, that's the best I can compare it to. Absolutely amazing, and I'm I'm so glad. You know, for once, they don't spoil things in the trailer uh, in that, you know, she has uh, adamantium toes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad we didn't see that because that's something that they so typically would have done in a freaking trailer. They didn't do that. Thank you. I'm also glad. I mean, look, I, I'm an X-Men. I'm a big X-Men fan. I'm not, like, super into the, like, I don't know all the back the back lore of the comics or anything like that. So I'm sure many other people going in probably knew that she was genetically uh, Logan's daughter. Um, I did not know that. So that was like a, I mean, I guess you can kind of assume that, that that was, yeah, it probably makes sense that they would use his DNA. Uh, so, but that was kind of like a surprise for me. So I'm glad that's also something they did. They did not spoil in the trailer. Um, I was uh, very happy that they, they did it because I've, I'm a big comic book reader. I've read X-Men for a long time. Okay. She actually got her start. Sort of like Harley Quinn from the animated series. Um, she was in X-Men Evolution was where she was created. And um, so I knew, knew she had the toe claws, but I didn't see any of it in the trailer. And as you said, trailers like to spoil things very much. So I was like, oh, I'd be cool if they didn't put her toe claws in. Uh, that'd be fine. She's still going to be pretty badass. And then she's getting drug away and she puts those toe claws in. And I sort of jumped up out of my seat a little bit. Just and so That's a little comic nerd coming out of me. I got very excited that they added that little detail. Yeah, which comes back into play a lot later. She uh, that Tokla is brutal. Oh, vicious, vicious, and that's just look. I mean, I, you know, when you when you when you do rated R movies, it's it's so easy and it's such a trap that you can fall into a, to abuse. It's the power of the rated R, um, but they didn't. I mean, like with the violence, like it was it was, you know, the word I'm looking for I think is harsh, but it wasn't. It never it never got cartoony. Uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I love Quentin Tarantino as much as the next person. He's a f- fantastic director, but you know, his violence is cartoonish. I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. Um, this was not like this. I thought really balanced a great line and just one other quick thing circling back to, uh, Patrick Stewart for a second. Um, like you said, like it was kind of weird for me to hear him say like fuck and all that stuff. I'm actually, I think I was a little nervous that they were going to abuse that, like he was going to swear too much, because that's kind of what I was reading before going into the movie, but it was fine, like, never distracted me at all, or anything like that. Um, a couple of the characters I just want to hit on quickly is, are the villains. I liked one of them, I didn't like one of them. Uh, Tommy, why don't you go ahead and start off, though, your thoughts on the two main villains we get. 
Uh, sure. So we have uh, Dr. Rice, which I believe was played by Richard Grant. Yes. Um, and then uh, Pierce, played by uh, Brooke Hol- No, Bro- Boyd, Boyd Holbrook. Boyd Holbrook, sorry. yes. Yeah. And which was the one that you liked and did not like? Uh, of course, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I liked him a little bit. I think he played sort of that campy um, villain that you get in a lot of, again, going back to road movies and uh, uh, old 70s movies. Um, but he was a little too campy. He's not a character I'm too familiar with in the comics since I haven't read comic lore recently. Um, but I kind of thought he was just the muscle there for Dr. Rice's character, who was kind of the brains behind the brawn. Um, so I enjoyed both, but I definitely think that Rice was the uh, superior villain in the long run. Okay, so I just want to be now. I, I I actually I did I liked Boyd Holbrook, didn't like Doctor Rice. Um, so I actually oh okay right. yeah yeah no, so yeah sorry I misheard you there, but I here's why I like Boyd Holbrook is I he, I, he was just such a slime bag, uh, and I thought <laughs> that. I think the character was slightly underwritten, but this actor I th- thought really brought it up. I can see, like, I mean, I guess I could see how someone could say it was a little campy, but uh, I thought I thought it was great. I thought how he really liked to play with, um, he really liked to play with his victims a lot. I mean, just mm-hmm. this real grease bag who, I, I like the idea that he's like this Wolverine fan, um, and he really toys with them. Uh, he was just like to me, like when he was on screen, I was like, "Oh, this guy's this guy's an entertaining villain." Um, was he? Did he have like a you know a super personality? Was he this multi-dimensional guy? No, but he was a very he had a very strong presence about him. And look, in a movie like Logan, where it's so focused on, we need to focus on the hero. Okay, so uh, this isn't you know this isn't the type of movie where you want to develop these grand scale villains. Look, do, Richard Grant, like. I mean, the performance was fine. My my whole thing with Dr. Rice is just very generic, like, and what kind of, like, this, like, I guess my biggest criticism of the entire movie is that, so, I guess what, he's Stryker's son? Like, that's what they were alluding to at the end, right? Correct. They kind of just brushed that aside at the end. Like, <laughs> I, and that was just, like, to me, like, that was, like, it was the one point in the screenplay I thought was lazy. Like there's no you don't need to do that. And it was just like, oh, let's just rush let's just let's just throw this in there so we can add more pathos for Logan at the end. And it's more and we kind of manufacture this more of a personal battle. You didn't need to do that. I didn't I don't know, I just didn't really find him that interesting. I didn't really find him that threatening. At least Boyd Holbrook provided uh a threat like a threat for me. So look, it's a minor criticism. He's a minor character in the film when it's all said and done. Um I think he could have done without the striker reveal at the end. Uh, yeah, I agree. It was kind of thrown in there for no reason, especially if you're uh, keeping along with the insane continuity of the X-Men films. Uh, he already had a son that was a mutant. Jason. And I believe died in X2, yeah. Um, and so he never mentions another son, so you're kind of stuck thinking, well, how did he have another? And Brian Cox was, what, 80 when X-Men 2 came out? He was that no, he was not that old. <laughs> he was not that old, but he to have another son to be that age, he would have had to have that pretty old, I think, depending on the continuity if you're going with the the timeline for it. But I mean, yeah, I was gonna, that's, yeah, that's my my biggest complaint. They probably the only one I really have is that little scene was just kind of shoved in there to give well now Wolverine has some, you know, animosity with this gentleman. It just it didn't need to be there like that like because you know what you it's a nut like the moment 
And we'll talk about that more a little bit later, just the final two scenes of the movie. But, like, you, you had enough there with Logan's whole final story arc. Um, mm-hmm. You don't need to add in, like, more personal anguish with this guy being the one who basically infused the animatium into Wolverine, which is what's poisoning him. I thought that was a nice plot element, um, that this thing that made him indestructible is what ultimately kills him. Kills him, um, yeah. A couple standout scenes I do want to mention is uh, w- let's talk about when they bury Charles. Uh, obviously, a tough moment to take if you're an X Men fan. And I know, okay, I know that we we saw him die already in X Men Three, but the reason that didn't really affect me, and I'm I'm an X Men Three defender. I know many aren't. Um, it's not so much the way the scene was done. It's just I I personally like I knew that he wasn't dead. And so, like, he gives you that wry little smile as he's imploding. <laughs> um, but you, you, just, you just know that he's going to survive. And then, oh, surprise, surprise, in the post credit scene of X-Men 3, he's alive. So, mm-hmm. whatever. Not a big shock. Now, this, of course, you know, he's dead as a doornail. There's no ambiguity here. Um, and so what – and this is just the type of stuff that separates – the good superhero movies from the elite ones, which this is, is he buries Charles and you get a close-up shot of Hugh Jackman. He's about to say something and you're just, you're waiting with bated breath. Like what the hell is he going to say about this? I mean, Charles is gone. And then of course he doesn't say anything. And Mm -hmm. that was, that was brilliant. I, I, I love that scene. It's one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah, it's going to sound cliche, but he said so much without saying a word, which is this, that's that's great writing and it's great performance, great directing, great everything in that small little, what, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, something like that. Yeah. And then he goes to the car and just starts bashing. By the way, I had a couple people in the in, in my audience, like kind of chuckle at that. I'm like, ah, come on, this is not the time to laugh. Yeah. This guy's this guy's this guy's pissed off. Uh, mm. And I, I alluded to this moment earlier, but like when she when Laura tries to you know, grab his hand, great little image kind of uh, falling up from the poster and he just wipes it away. Ah, so many great little touches uh, in this film. Uh, One of the other things, uh, there's there's kind of a couple moments in the movie that were just kind of sadistically funny to me only because, like, we're going to get, we're going to get to our, what our top 10 X-Men movies are at the end here because there's 10. So by law, we have to rank them, right? Oh, of course. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go on a limb and say that our least favorite. We're both gonna agree on X Men Origins Wolverine. I mean, don't spoil it, but I'm gonna guess that that's both both for us our least favorite movie is that one from 2009. Oh. I do find it <laughs> I do find it funny though that the freaking the Animantium Bullet. One of the things that, that like when you go back and listen to the complaints of X Men Origins Wolverine. One of the things that people complained about the most was that stupid animantium bullet that shoots him in the in the memories, right? And then, of course, it's used here again in a brilliant plot element, hilarious yep. and also just genius. <laughs> yeah, and it the adamantium bullet in Origins did is nothing visually compared to what it does in this. Uh, uh freaking brutal <laughs> at the end of this, but yeah, it's uh. Definitely, definitely taken with more consideration than uh, X-Men Origins was. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's not, 
and it's it works in t- it works twofold, right? Because one, it's just like, oh my god, like he's carrying around this bullet because he's been close to uh to ending it all. So you've got that whole you've got that whole baggage there. Uh, but then of course, and this is just this is just great screenwriting. I I, I love this kind of stuff. Of course, Laura uses it to kill the Logan clone. Of course, that's how it has to end. Uh, so the adamantium bullet. If it didn't get its due in X-Men Origins Wolverine, it does here. Um, one of the other things I just found really funny was, if you remember from that movie in Origins, where he like he goes and runs into that family of the farmers, uh, and he, like, hangs out, yeah, right, so he hangs, <laughs> out, he hangs out in their barn for, like, a night to, you know, and it's... And if you ever want an explanation of how Wolverine gets his leather jacket, you know, we got it here, well, great... Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just so funny to me that this movie, they basically say, Hey, let's do that again, but do it way better. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of comical in origins. Like people die and I laughed in Logan. It's not funny. It's very dark and depressing, but in origins, I could not help but smile at the absurdity of what was happening. And that's like, and that's when you, that's what separates great movies from bad movies. I mean, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's, you hit that, that's a great point. You hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, it is not funny at all. And look, credit to the direction, credit to the script, credit to those actors, because they're not in the movie very long, right? You barely get to know these people, but the writing is on such, is working on such a high level that you still feel for those guys when they get killed. You get enough information, you get enough time spent with them, uh, so they were used very well. And I, I've been reading a lot how like people kind of think like it, it's the moment in the movie where it works like a horror movie. I can see that. Um, and then just the other thing I want to say about that scene too is you—it's a much, much needed moment. But uh, you know, Logan and Logan and Professor X—they get to share one nice moment together at the dinner table talking about the old days uh, when they were back running the school and that I, that was very powerful and placed at the perfect time in the film. Mm-hmm. Especially in how Wolverine's talking about like, you know, I got kicked out a couple times. Uh, fantastic. So that was a really well done scene. Uh, I guess I would yeah, have to and, say, yeah, go you ahead. get to see the love between them as well. Like the, you know, Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman just took that to a new level, as I've said already. You you see two people, yeah, they're at disagreements. One thinks the other's a disappointment, and he knows he's a disappointment. But they're kind of hearkening back, like, you know, yeah, we've we've done a lot of great for each other. You are essentially my best friend. Let's remember all the funny times, all the good times. Sure, I haven't been a model student. I'm not Cyclops. I'm Wolverine. But, you know... Yeah, I've always been there for you. You've always been there for me. And I like everyone sort of noticed that the whole table. It's not an uncomfortable laugh. It's a genuine like, yeah, you know, this is family. Um, And that's I think the first time you see Laura smile as well, which is the most adorable smile, by the way. That little girl was cute as hell. But um, that is actually my favorite scene was the the dinner scene, because it's the most human scene in the film, at least to me. Great point. And. And and you know what the thing too with that scene, it's definitely one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, the only unfortunate thing for me with that scene is you know you know that Charles, it's coming to an end. Like when you yeah. watch when you watch that scene, and that's and look, I know that sometimes people complain about predictability in film, 
and I know this was a huge complaint uh, in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. T- to me, when you do it right, it's it's even better because yeah, you can feel it, you can feel it in the air, you can feel it coming, you can feel that tension, knowing that the character is about to bite the dust, uh, and that's why you appreciate that scene as it's going on that dinner because you know it's about to happen. Um, right. and it's, it's, it's like, you're enjoying the, the, you're right. It's, it is the most human moment in the film. You're enjoying it. But at the same time, there is that, that little bit of dread in you knowing that however it's going to happen, you know, Charles is, is not going to make it. I actually thought I was way, I was way wrong. I actually thought that Charles would just die like naturally. Um, but no, he gets a pretty, he gets a pretty gruesome yeah. ending, and it's just. Oh, I thought Pierce and yeah, Rice go was going to be the. Sorry, I thought Pierce or Rice were going to be the ones to kill him. I didn't think it was going to go the way it did, which was shocking. Even the second time seeing it, I was like, "Oh crap, that's right." <laughs> he gets. Uh, I mean, do we want to spoil it now? Oh yeah, I mean, like we're. I mean, we're in full on spoilers anyway. But so, just uh, the fact that you know the last thing he sees is this like deformity of his friend you know, slicing him. Right. Just, X-24, as the character is. Right, right, X-24, yeah. Uh, uh, just just a soul-crushing way for Charles to go out on. Um, but, you know, speaking of, you know, speaking of X-24, bringing it around to the end of the film when we're getting those last couple moments, and, see, to me, this is... Yeah, you know, I thought the film got a little slow here and there, but very, very minor complaint. I I, lo- I loved it all the way through. Uh, it's those final two scenes where huge it, it is Hugh Jackman's finest hour, and you know we talked about all the great performances, and Hugh Jackman was obviously amazing throughout the entire run of this film. Uh, but it's that final twenty minutes where now it is his movie, and this is another moment where when he takes the medicine. Uh, you know he's gonna die. You you can you you know this is it, and so you're you're preparing for that moment, and you know that Wolverine is gonna go out in a blaze of glory. And boy, does he ever! He goes out swinging. And I love the idea that the only person who could have killed Wolverine was himself. Brilliant. Right. Yeah, that scene is. Uh... It's pretty amazing. You get, a, I think, personally, again, for me, the best Berserker Rage we've seen from Wolverine on film. They saved it for the end. They did. And uh, I always thought, I love 9 out of 10 of the X-Men movies. And uh, I always thought X2, that scene in the mansion, would not be beat. And they, t- they did it by a long shot at the end of this movie. Yeah, no no question. And this this brings my final criticism of the film it's an amazing sequence. My only regret is that too much kids using superpowers at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, like, see, to me, like, for a movie that was very non-traditional superhero movie, um, you know, it didn't distract me or anything, but it's just like, come on, yeah, this is Logan's moment. Like, I don't need to see, like, it was, it was, it looked cool visually, but, like, I don't need to see, like, you know, tree powers and, you know, little ice breath, like, fine like let the kids have their moment but at the same time it should have just been wolverine and laura as well like that was fine too uh so that that that's really my only other criticism of the film is too much use of superpowers at the end very minor critique though 
It's hard to say Pierce didn't deserve what he got, though, since uh, you do see in flashback, or I guess it's a video taken, that he pretty much beats in these kids or demeans these kids, and they all kind of come together, and at, I don't know what they did to him. They all combine their powers to suffocate him, I think. Um, but he does not die a very happy death. Not quick. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. I guess I guess it was fitting for the uh, for the kids to get that kill. Um, yeah, you, yeah, Donald Pierce... Uh, does not go out in a fun way. Uh, but, you know, yeah, he certainly gets his comeuppance. Um, I kind of felt bad for him, honestly. I was just like, oh, that is that is rough. Uh, guy was a <laughs> slime bag cyborg. Screw him. <laughs> uh, but that's you know, that speaks to that the villain worked for you, though, because you kind of, like, you felt a little, like, because that's why he has such a presence about him. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he gets, like, buried in the ground or something. Oh, terrible. Um, so I want to talk about this is this is really where uh you know you start to get choked up in the film is Wolverine you know he gets what the tree bark or whatever launched through his heart or whatever um clearly he's going to die it's it's all over and you want to talk about you know we've watched we've watched Hugh Jackman play this character for what 17 years 17 and, years like, this is it these are going to be his final li- these are going to be his final lines of dialogue and they knocked him out of the park it was two lines and i like this idea of like one for you one for me i like the line of he basically just tells laura like you know don't be what they made you perfect don't need to say anything else beautiful but then also he has kind of a line more for himself and it's like one of the rare times you see him smile in the film and he just says you know this is what it feels like and then that's it Mm -hmm. oh just perfect Perfect, yeah. perfect, and uh, I believe they uh, he he gets he says or sorry Charles says that to him in X Men two maybe it's X Men one I haven't watched them in a couple months but he says something similar to him in in one of those films so it's great to see him sort of pass that along to the next generation of his next generation essentially okay I gotta think about that so like Charles says something kind of akin to that you're saying. Yeah. Oh, you gotcha. know what? No, I'm sorry. I'm I'm miss. He says it to um, he says it to Jean in X Men Three, but Wolverine's there. That's what I was thinking of. But it, I mean, it's still something similar. You know, seeing oh, that. Okay. In- yeah. Yeah. That's right. Charles that's right. blows up or whatever happens to him in X Men Three. Um. Just uh, it was a look, and this is, and we've, I mean, we've talked about all the great acting and performances, but it goes without saying. I mean, I don't know what else. Like, I don't know what else you could possibly say about Hugh Jackman's performance as his character anymore. This was, I think you're going to agree, this was obviously his best turn as the character. Um, and to me, they saved his best stuff for those final 20 minutes. Uh, right. Especially when he's in, like, whatever, they're in, like, the cave, treehouse, whatever the hell it is, and Laura's just begging him for his help, and that's where he just screams, like, I, you know, everything around me just dies. Like, I don't, you know, I can't do this anymore. And it's just he really reaches towards that elite level of acting. Unbelievable. Um, and then of course I kind of alluded to it in my opening remarks, but, uh, just, you, you can the film more perfectly than how they did it. Uh, it just, to me, like, I think I said when, I think it was when maybe the first trailer came out, I wrote an article on the com about how like this sort of movie feels like, uh, it's a series finale to like the whole X Men s- franchise, 
even though they're going to go back and make more movies in different points of time, or whatever, like that's fine. But really kind of a, more of a series finale to those movies that started in 2000 and just flipping, flipping the sticks to make the X and just then the screen goes black. I, I mean, you can tell the level of care and time that they put into this movie and that really cemented it for me. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of comes full circle. I, well, X-Men was 2000, so I was 10 when that came out and it, the first movie starts with the metallic X. Essentially you see the, uh, the X logo and then oh, 17 right. years later, now I'm 27, and uh, it ends with the stick X, a little more human, a little more kind of visceral style. Like the first one was a lot of uh, kind of modern or modern at the time, very CGI filled, a little more science fiction-y. And then this one is a visceral sort of realistic X at the end of it. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, it's, you know, there's no there's no little there's no retina scans or blue lasers coming out of that thing. Um, it's just going to stay there forever. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, I also want to talk about, so one of the things I remember that people complained about in the trailers um, was when they brought out the X-Men comic books. And so, because, and like when I first saw that, I was like, yeah, that's getting a little too meta. But then I said, let's just, you know, let's just give them a chance. Uh, I want to kind of see how they use this in the movie. And I love the use of the comic books in the film for two reasons. Number one, it serves as a very specific plot point. But number two, it was a great kind of character anchor for Logan in just explaining where his frame of mind is and that he's looking at this comic book garbage and he's like, this is shit. Like this, like in you. So it's just kind of another example of telling us that the character has really lost all hope and he's down in the dumps. So... Look, sometimes it's just one of those things like, you know, you can't always trust a trailer and you have to at times give them the benefit of the doubt. So I thought I thought that was a smart way that they use the X-Men comic books. Yeah, uh, I, I love the way that scene played. He's like, what's I think the line is, uh, what are these the, the stories they're telling about us? Maybe a quarter of it happened, but mostly they're all bullshit. Right. And yeah, that's the line. I think it and they created that comic book specifically for this. It's not an actual story, but. A uh, little side thing on that, they kind of made Rogue more badass in one panel of comic books than she's been in three movies. <laughs> but um, it's just, yeah, none of the stories in the comic books translated that. He's saying, you know, they translated these in the stories. They're fairy tales. Don't believe a word you read in these. Uh, also, though, it did sort of end up being true because the coordinates that he has to take Laura to are actually real. The place is called Eden, I believe. And turns out that, like, oh, this part of the story is actually the true part of the story. Oh wow! Oh really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about it like that. Um, so... I didn't notice it the first time. I I only noticed it the second time I saw it that the one part that he thought was hundred percent bullshit turned out to be a hundred percent true. See, it's those little touches, and like this is where, <sighs> sort of people get upset that I you know I complain and I kvetch and I rant and rave about the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, and I look they're perfectly entertaining films and they're okay, but they just they don't have this type of level of care and they don't dig deep like this movie did i think the first iron man does to some extent i actually think that's one of the better ones because i do have a good understanding of who tony stark is in that film because it's just about him right it's before all the avengers hoopla takes place right. so it's another one where i do really get to learn more about his character um and even to some extent captain america winter soldiers but like i see i i feel like like when i saw doctor strange 
I, I felt like I could have gotten something way more into the depths of that who that character was, uh, but it's just not there for me. Like you know, like this movie clearly just goes above and beyond in digging deep into who these people are, into really kind of circling back, you know, to what these X Men movies mean to everybody, and doing it in such a grounded, visceral way. Like it's it's so crazy to think that you know, in the same franchise, a couple of movies ago, you know, these guys were traveling through time and doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, and then this one is just about these guys on the road, you know, trying to survive and just trying to get from point A to point B. And then, of course, Logan coming to terms with, you know, who he is and living for this long. And it finally has reached the breaking point for him where he's right on the cusp of just ending it all. Uh, and then, of course, having one more moan of glory and being able to impart a final piece of wisdom onto his daughter. It was just such a, you know, and I think that's why we can kind of circle back now into what's been talked a lot about in terms of this movie's Oscar chances. And look, it's so funny because I just did so many, I just did so much Oscar coverage for the site. And I'm a little Oscared out here at this point. Okay. Um <laughs> Like, I feel like if they if they gave me that envelope right now, like, I wouldn't even be able to see straight, and I probably would have said, like, ah, the Howler High Water one. I well, are they going to give you the right envelope is the question. It's like, are they going to give me the right envelope? I'm even going to read the thing, right? I don't even know anymore. I'm so Oscared out at this point. But look, it's been, it's been talked about for Oscar chances for Logan already, and I expected this as soon as I saw the early reviews coming out, and you even look at the trailers. Look, am I hopeful about it? I'm somewhat hopeful. I think that when you watch the movie, it has, it's in the realm of realism that this could be the one to break the superhero barrier for Oscar movies. But look, people, you got to keep in mind this is that we have a long way to go before the end of the year. Who knows what's going to come out? Um, So at the end of the day, I think its chances are still going to be low. I still think that it's going to have that superhero stigma on it. I think at the end of the day, you'll still have Academy members saying, yeah, but look at all the superpowers that they use in this movie. And I don't know, there's still claws coming out of the guy. Like, yeah, I mean, is this really Oscar worthy? It's got a chance. I would say it has a realistic chance in three major categories, which are best picture, actor, and then supporting actor for Patrick Stewart. We'll see. I I don't want to get people's hopes up too much, but I think there's a slim chance. We're just going to have to see how the rest of the year plays out. All right. If the if the year ended today, definitely oh, yes. <laughs> but at the end, I mean, you've still got movies coming out. You know, Oscar season is September to December for the most part. There's going to be right. plenty of films between then to sort of knock it out of place. But I do think, as of now, and I probably feel the same at the end of the year. All the three categories that you mentioned, it could should at least be nominated. But that's still. T- what nine months away oh, from where we crazy, are today? Crazy time away, yeah. So, but uh, I do, I do, I do, I do think that 20th Century Fox. I do think that they're going to make a serious, serious Oscar push at the end of the year for this film. Definitely, and they yeah, a lot of people say Deadpool. Stops. Deadpool got snubbed. Um, yeah. Again, a lot of people don't know how the voting works for that. If you do want to listen, you can listen to the Oscar podcast that you did. But um, the only thing I think it really got snubbed for was probably best adapted screenplay. And even then, it's still a long shot. 
this one I definitely think could be up for best picture, best actor, best supporting actor. I don't think adapted screenplays out of the question. Uh, yeah, that'll be a tough road to it. But yeah, maybe you possibly. Know, cinematography is one I definitely think. Yes. Because this is beautifully shot. It reminded me a lot of Hell or High Water, which also looked great, or even Mad Max Fury Road to kind of go more modern films. Uh, a little bit of Smokey and the Bandit in it a bit. The Wolverine was also shot very well, if you remember that one, um, especially that Correct. opening especially that opening shot in Nagasaki. Yeah, I think actually, I mean, I, I think it actually probably is a safe bet to say that Logan will be in the forefront of the best cinematography race. So that's something I, you know, with Deadpool, see Deadpool got, got screwed in adapted screenplay because if, if the whole shenanigans with Moonlight didn't take place, it may have gotten that fifth spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably would have been competing with Nocturnal Animals, which also didn't get in. The problem is, is that Moonlight was in the original screenplay category uh, at the Writers Guild, uh, but it, then it went to adapted in the, at the Oscars. So that's why all right, we're going off on a tangent. But you know, rest, <laughs> in, rest in peace, Deadpool's Oscar chances. Yep, um, it's 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 done and over with now. Yeah. So look, but I I think this is gonna. I think this could definitely come close, though. I think there's going to be a real push here for Logan. Still think it's a long shot, though. In terms of his box office, I'm trying to find some update information now. I can't really find a ton. Now, box office mojo, let's take a little look-see here. Now, they predicted yesterday $74 million opening weekend. Uh, by what I read, I think it's going to blow that apart. Um, yeah. I, pre- I predicted $88 million in my box office prediction columns this weekend. So let me let me ask let me ask you this because now I think we can we I think we can definitively say Tommy that there is going to be a thirst for rated R movies. Mm-hmm. For rated excuse well okay there's always going to be rated R movies but uh rated R superhero movies that is. Um do you think do, like do you personally want to see more rated R superhero movies or do you think that this was just a coincidence a coincidence that characters like Deadpool and Wolverine just fit better with rated R movies? Uh, I think if the right character comes along, it needs to be rated R. For instance, Deadpool would have been horrendous PG-13. No, like that would have been... couldn't do it. Logan, I also think the way they went with the story needed to be rated R. But for instance, X-Men 3, perfectly fine being PG-13. Iron Man, Avengers films, perfectly fine being PG-13 movies because they don't have that level of realty and violence to them. I think Suicide Squad might have benefited a little bit from being rated R. Maybe I even yes, it would have. And I'll the t- Batman, I'll you, yeah, the Batman. Right. I'll tell you right now, though. Sorry to cut you off, but I, I just have to say this. I'm telling you right now, Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad Two. If Logan does the box office that people are thinking it's going to do, I think there's a real chance that that's going to be rated R. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if they get that more Joker Harley Quinn dynamic, which we're two of my at least high points of Suicide Squad, and that's about where it ends. Um, they they need to make that rated R because there's it's an abusive relationship. I've read comic books where the Joker and Harley, uh, uh, he violently beats her to where blood is spilling out of the panels. He cusses at her. He even does unspeakable things that I don't want to see in movies, but you know that's the sort of relationship that calls for a rated R film. So I think with the right character... It needs to be rated R. Like, if we got another shot at Ghost Rider and they see the box office for this and someone makes a great rated R Ghost Rider, not 
whatever the hell Nicolas Cage was in. I mean, I don't think there's a thirst for Ghost Rider right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I get your, I get your larger point, but, um, yeah, like I think, yeah, Ghost Rider, Radar Ghost Rider, like if he just like dips his head into some guy's torso or something and lights him on fire, I don't know. Like, I mean, Ghost Rider is a very, very silly character, but I could definitely a character that could work though. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, uh, Kick-Ass is another good argument. Like, Kick-Ass is a film that needed to be rated R because without the R rating, it would have been just bare bones of what the comic book represented. It's going to be really interesting to see if this is a true game-changer because, I mean, because, look, I've always always believed that Logan was going to be rated R even if Deadpool didn't clean up like it did. Because I I feel like they were so far into production at that point. Um, I mean, maybe they were waiting to get the results. Because if you remember, like they announced that Logan was going to be rated R, like like right after Deadpool's opening weekend, I think. So mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we got to bow down and thank Deadpool then, I guess, for what we just saw over the weekend with Logan. So absolutely, I I think I think your larger point is the correct one, though. If if the characters serve the purpose to be rated R, then they should be. But we don't need to go overboard. And I just hope that we never get to a point where we get rated R superhero movies, but they abuse, but they abuse the power of the rated R. Like Deadpool, yeah. Like, look, he swears a lot. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's not like a constant barrage of swears. I mean, it, like, it, he never abuses it, and it works for the character. Same thing with Logan. When you look at the violence. Like yes, it's pretty brutal, but it's not like it's not like blood is you know spilling into your eyeballs as you watch the movie. So <laughs> it's it, it's well done. But let's uh all right. There's been ten X Men movies. You know, you and I are both big fans of this franchise. Clearly, all right. So like I said, by law, it's time to rank these. It's time to rank these bad boys. So here we go. And look, I of course have the right to uh, change my mind here. Okay, but this is a. Uh, this is what I. Well, this is what I'm feeling right now. We'll just do a quick back and forth. We'll start from ten. I think we're going to agree on this first one. My number ten is X Men Origins Wolverine, and I just want to say this really quickly. In my opinion, I don't think there's a bad X Men movie. W- Origins Wolverine comes really close, but there are even like points where like Hugh Jackman is still entertaining in the role. I like the first scene with Ryan Reynolds in that film. <laughs> um. Then, of course, they sew his mouth shut. I mean, we all know about that fiasco, but... So, I mean, look, but it's clearly the worst. Lazy, generic, it's just a cliche action movie. Has a couple decent moments, but, I mean, forgettable. So that's my number 10. I'm assuming that's number 10 for you as well. It is, and this is the only one that I absolutely hate of the franchise. Fair enough, Um, okay. Hugh Jackman's great. Liev Schreiber, I think, is fantastic as well. Great point. Uh, Ryan Reynolds at the beginning, also fine. Uh, I'm my favorite character in the comics is Gambit. So. God, God, no, we'll t- say all right. Put a bookmark in that. We're going to talk about future <laughs> of the X Men series. Put a bookmark in Gambit. All right, uh, but yeah, Origins to me is the worst. And there's actually one scene I want to quickly hit on. So in the first X Men, okay, Rogue asks him, "Does it hurt when your claws come out?" And he says, "Every damn time." But then he's in the uh, the family's bathroom, and he just brings his claws out right after he gets them. As if, like, a party just happened. Like, he's about to do spirit fingers and clinks them together and they spark. I, for some reason, that scene always jumps out at me and I hate it. Notoriously bad special effects sequence. Like, people always bring that up as, like, these are, this is an example of awful special effects. 
They looked like right. they, and I don't they looked rubbery. Movies, but everyone kind of pirated that. And they didn't even get better in the theatrical release from the pirated version. I just don't understand what happened with the creation of Origins. Yeah, I remember that whole controversy. And it's like, I, I do feel bad that their movie kind of got screwed in that sense. I mean, I, you know, obviously I would never condone freaking pirating, but I, I just, but like, look, at the end of the day, the movie still sucked. So, well, I don't think, I mean, you hate it. I don't hate it, but it's definitely the worst. We're, we're moving on. My number nine, I'm guessing it's going to be your number nine too. Maybe not is X-Men The Last Stand, but I'll say this. I am a big defender of this film. I, I get like, I, I, there's a couple corny lines from Juggernaut um, I don't like what they do with uh, Rogue's character arc in that film just because it flies in the face of basically what the whole franchise stands for. That was bad. I get the whole, like, they ruined Phoenix thing, but this is this is one of these classic, it's good for the movie, not good for the comic book debates for me, is I know you don't get the epic nature of the full-fledged Phoenix, but I really think within the context of this movie... They did a good job with her, and I thought that the ending where Wolverine it tragically has to kill her worked very well. Um, so, you know, Angel was kind of a waste, whatever. Kelsey Grammer's Beast was awesome, and Magneto moves the Golden Gate Bridge. So, look, is it one of the worst ones, clearly, for me, but I still think it's pretty good. Number right. Nine. I also, number nine is X-Men 3. Um, I okay. also like it. There are kind of the problems that you mentioned, as well as... Um, James Marsden Cyclops leaving to be in Superman Returns. Yeah, because uh, Cyclops yeah. is also one of my favorite mutants. But to see him, he kind of got shafted in all the movies, unfortunately. But that's beside the point. Um, but I really love Hugh Jackman again in this. I love Hugh Jackman in all the movies, so I guess I can just end that there. Um, and I loved Ian McKellen in X Men Three. I thought he was when that Charles was, dies, yep. you 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 feel it from him. But yeah, X Men Three is my my number nine. And that's why I always try and tell people, like, I know, you know, when I when I defend X-Men 3 is, you, I, you said it best, like, that is his movie. That is Magneto's movie. He's brilliant in that film. Um, awe-inspiring. My number eight is, this was a tough call between these next two. My number eight is The Wolverine. And I really, really like The Wolverine. The opening 20 minutes is fantastic. Uh, the My only regret is that, the movie just gets progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. It's still, like, it never gets, like, bad or anything. I still think it's a really, really good movie. Um, there's a lot of great Wolverine moments. You know, I recently did a top ten Wolverine moments countdown on the site. Um, we can link to that in the in the post here. And there was a lot of sequences from that film. Um, it's just, like, it really slows up in the middle. The end is a little wonky. Um, but it's still, like, a very, very good X-Men movie. But it is my number eight. Uh, yeah, my number eight is uh, X-Men Apocalypse, mm -hmm. uh, which, again, I also liked, um, but they sort of made Apocalypse not the character he was in the comics. And I realized for film, you have to change things. But, again, a scene in particular, he uses that sand trick at the beginning and cuts off those guys' heads and never uses it again, which I think he could have just ended the movie right there. Uh, but again, I love Michael Fassbender, I think, was at his best in this. Um, I love all the kids. The um, girl from Game of Thrones who played Jean Grey specifically, I really Sophie enjoyed. Turner, yeah. Sophie Turner, yep. Um, again, Jubilee, who I can't stand, uh, is in this, and I'm glad she got shafted. A lot of people complained, but <laughs> hate the character of Jubilee. Um, but I, I enjoyed Apocalypse for the most part, aside from the weakness of Apocalypse. That was the worst part about it to me. 
Well, good transition. My number seven is X-Men Apocalypse. And I've seen this film three times. When I first saw it, I, I, I liked it quite a bit. I give it a very, very favorable review on the site. Um, but even after going after Days of Future Past, like there, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a tinge of disappointment with it. But I, in the couple times I've seen it since then, I'm telling you, this movie... This movie got way too harsh treatment. It gets better every time I've seen it. I'm telling you. And, yeah, Fassbender in X-Men Apocalypse is freaking awesome. Uh, he is just a force to be reckoned with in that film. Totally get what you're saying about Apocalypse. I liked him a lot in the first half of the movie. He gets a little too traditional villain in the second half. Um, but you were talking about Cyclops and how he got shafted in the other X-Men films. This is what I like best about the movie is I felt like Ty Sheridan finally gave the character his due uh i like cyclops a lot in x-men apocalypse i thought he was great i am in complete agreement with you on jubilee i don't understand she's just like, i don't hate the character or anything she's just kind of annoying to me i guess that's coming from the animated series um, that's a yeah it's the animated series definitely i will say um i don't understand though like you never see her use her powers in the movie and what why would you not have her shoot fireworks at the end of the film when the mansion is being rebuilt. That, to me, was ridiculous. <laughs> Guess they ran out of budget. So, look, yeah. I, I am a big defender of X-Men Apocalypse. It's my number seven. What's your number seven? Uh, it's your number eight, The Wolverine. And okay. I think for the same things that you said, the opening 20 is incredible. I th- actually think the first two-thirds are awesome, uh, especially the train sequence on the bullet train. That was cool. Which is um, – is, I don't like being on high-speed things, including cars, and that kind of gave me a little bit of an anxiety attack. Uh, but, the, yeah, the first two-thirds of that are incredible. The last boss battle, I guess, if you want to call it that, villain battle, is a little underwhelming. Um, it's similar-ish to what he faces in the comics, but Silver Samurai is not a giant silly. robot. It was silly. Yeah, very silly. Um, again, Hugh Jackman's great in it, but it's it's a little slow at times. For the most part, still a good film. This was, I think of the Wolverine as kind of like, um, I kind of think of it as like a sports team where they're right on the cusp of becoming a championship contender. Uh, <laughs> they have a they have a good season, but they still have some kinks to work out, and that's what I felt like going from the Wolverine to Logan. But that's uh, all my sports teams right there are just <laughs> oh they're so good, and then the playoffs happen and they suck. You're you're sports you're a fan of a bunch of the Wolverine uh, teams. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> My number six is, uh, it's an oldie but a goodie, the first X-Men. Just, look, this movie's been talked about a lot. It changed the face of comic book films. It's a movie we desperately, desperately needed at the time after Batman and Robin. Um, You know, you were probably a little too younger to remember kind of the fallout of Batman and Robin. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, look, I was only like, uh, let's see, I was 16, I think, when the first X-Men came out. So I still have... Like, when Batman and Robin came out three years prior, like, still a kid, but also old enough to realize that that was a garbage film. So it was definitely a movie that came out at the right time. And you could tell by the first scene they weren't messing around uh, when it's, you know, Magneto's, when Eric Lentry's parents are getting uh, killed at the, you know, at the concentration camp. It's very heavy. It's very serious. So it sets the tone early. Love all the performances. Stuart, Jackman, Ian McKellen. I mean... It, the first action movie still holds up for me. That's my number six. Uh, also, my number six, uh, I think I said earlier I was 10 when that came out. And I do actually do remember Batman and Robin, side note, because uh, I loved everything when I was seven years old. And I hated Batman and Robin, 
which will wow. just show how bad that is. But that's, a, again, a podcast for another day. Uh, but, yeah, the first X-Men, I, again, kind of went into it uh, just with pure excitement. Um, I remember my brother, who's six years older than me, um, was very pissed that Hugh Jackman was cast as Wolverine uh, and came out of the theater with me and my mom just elated. He, you know, a high school kid and wanted to buy the toys and play with them just as I did. Uh, looking back on it, it's a little cheesy, but that's, I think that kind of goes with the time. And obviously the superhero landscape has changed in almost two decades. But her, like great casting amongst everyone with that. Uh, except for maybe Halle Berry was a little strange. Well, Halle Berry was fine, but you, when you say cheesy, she, unfortunately, Halle Berry has the misfortune of being in a probably the worst superhero movie ever made, Catwoman, as well as having probably the single worst line of dialogue ever spoken in any superhero film known to man. Uh, which is, do you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? <laughs> the same thing that happens to everything else. I just, I don't know how you don't look at that in a rewrite room, in a in an editing room when you're saying the line. That was one of the all time fails. But whatever, X Men's awesome. All right, we get yeah. into the top. She five. does kill Toad in a really cool way. I will give her that. It's it's totally ruined by the line though. But whatever. yeah, I agree. Poor Toad. Um, so now we get into the top five. Might get a little controversial, but we've been in pretty lock step and barrel here. Uh, you know. Only only Apocalypse and Wolverine were switched. My number five is Deadpool. And look, there's, I mean, I don't really need to go into Deadpool. It, you know, it is what it is. It's just amazing and hilarious and is just an exceptionally, not only a well-made action film, but a great character piece of this complete whack job and just Ryan Reynolds shines like hell. I mean, look, I don't need to get into the to Deadpool. We all know why it's great. It's my number five. Uh, my number five is First Class, um, which I love. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I went into that because that came out right after Origins. So I went in with Correct. arms folded. Oh, they're going to make another terrible X-Men movie. And it, okay, um, I hadn't seen really James McAvoy in anything except for I think he was in Wanted with Angelina Jolie. Uh, and I thought he, he portrayed a very great younger Patrick Stewart, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I could I could see him morphing into Patrick Stewart in the future. Uh, I love Michael Fassbender, of course, is the standout of all of these. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is before she got all famous and kind of prissy. I thought she was great as Mystique, and I kind of I loved all the side uh, characters as well. I mean, Banshee was great. Um, even Kevin Bacon was pretty good as Sebastian Shaw, uh, and it yeah it just blew me away and it it turned. Uh, couple characters who i hate like angel and banshee into pretty cool characters even though they had limited screen time nicholas holt also as beast was a little underrated in that and i i really enjoyed him yeah absolutely we'll get the first class on my list later uh so those were our number fives right so okay so number four and this is i think where people probably disagree my number four is x2 and look this is i want to be like we're like all the movies we're mentioning right now for me anyway these are all freaking fantastic films so I, I love this series. I really do. It, it's just such a great... It's been great since 2000. Look, X2 is phenomenal. It was... It. I mean, for a long time... Well, not for a long time. I guess for two years until Batman Begins came out. It was considered the creme de la creme. I mean, this was considered the best superhero movie. Um, and even after Batman Begins came out, I think you had a lot of people still defending X2 as the better film. It's just, to me, even more so than The Avengers. I'm sorry. It is the ultimate team movie. Um great subplots that all mesh together perfectly. Uh, a lot of great hints at what's going to happen to Jean Grey. 
uh, you know, Magneto escaping from that prism is awesome. It has so many great vintage X-Men movie moments, like the Berserker Rage scene in the mansion. Uh, you know, I thought that Willie, I think William Stryker was a fantastic villain. And what I love so much about X2 is that you have this guy, he's just, he's a human, but he's such a huge threat to every single mutant on the planet. Brilliant. Uh, and he played that role so well. I love the dynamic and the feud that him and Wolverine have. My only real complaint with X2 is that Cyclops, they just say, eh, let's just take him out of the middle of the film. Whatever. Um, so he got, he, I mean, you want to talk about getting the shaft. He got the shaft in X2. But uh, look, I very little complaining about X2. Brilliant film. That's my number four. My number four is Deadpool. Uh, and just, the, you know, I think I like Deadpool a little more for the fact of how it got made than the actual final product. And the actual mm-hmm. final product is incredible. Um, but the fact that the writers um, the had to get the studio behind it, Ryan Reynolds campaigned like a madman to get the studio behind it, and they got the final product that they did, with all the studio interference we get nowadays, that they put out a film like that last year, is it's mind-boggling that they, they were allowed to do that. Um, there's a thing on the internet called Honest Trailers, and they kind of ripped that off for the opening credits, which I think is brilliant. Uh, and just the... The fourth wall breaking or the 16 wall breaking, if you want to pick a joke in there, the amount of cussing, the amount of blood, the amount of continuity that it actually held with the X-Men franchise on top of Ryan Reynolds, perfect acting in that film. That's why it goes number four for me. The villain, little weak, uh, like most Marvel movies, unfortunately. Uh, But yeah, other than that, other than the villain, I think Deadpool is pretty amazing. Really quickly, I guess just what's this touch on the Deadpool, the teaser at the beginning of Logan? Uh, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, it, it is kind of funny, like, you know, this the movie starts, it gets all black, and you're thinking, like, here we go. The intense Logan movie is about to start, and then you see uh, Ryan Reynolds. Um, I mean, it was a perfect – It's a it's a vintage Deadpool scene. My only thing with it is it, it just – it was a little out of place for me, but, you know, pretty funny. Right. It, um, you know, when I saw it in the press reading, that wasn't there. I so when the movie starts right. on Thursday, when I saw it at Thursday, I'm sitting there like, did I come into the wrong IMAX theater? This isn't, is this, yeah, <laughs> this is this isn't how the great it started. Wall? Like, what? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Great Wall, God. But yeah, it, I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, uh, you know, the little homages to like now playing Logan in the back. There was even the Firefly poster because Marina Baccarin was both in Firefly and in uh, Deadpool. I was wondering and, why that was in there. I'm not a Firefly guy, so I was like, why would they randomly have a Firefly post? Yeah, that. Well, and also Nathan Fillion has been rumored to be Cable for Deadpool oh, too, so that's a little. Please no, please yeah. no. I, um, and then the Superman music also hilarious. That Somehow they got that to play for funny. two and a half minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, very fun. It kind of reminded me sort of like a Pixar or a Disney movie. You go and you see that little short beforehand, and then the movie starts. It kind of went from the cartoon to the serious, which I, I enjoyed. A um, little out of place, but still pretty funny. It's always good to see Deadpool. I cannot argue there. Getting back to our countdown. So my number three is X-Men First Class. Uh, this film, when I first saw it, blew me away. I did not think I was going to get a caliber of film that I got when I sat down to watch it. And I was a little sour on the X-Men franchise like you were at that time because we were coming off of Origins Wolverine. And then I was just like, what? They're like using like these... like sea-level mutants, like, I don't give a shit. Like, what, like, what is this? You know, Fassbender, James Mack, I didn't really know who those guys were at the time. 
But man, I, I and you're right. Kevin Bacon was awesome. He does not get enough credit in that film. He's such a he was such a just charismatic, uh, really. And not only was he really funny and charismatic, but he was like really threatening. Um, it's just such a cool, stylish movie. And sometimes that can rub me the wrong way, but it works here. Matthew Vaughn knocked it out of the park. You can definitely feel his influence over it. Uh, but the reason the reason why I have X Men First Class so high on the list is really for one reason, and it's the relationship between Magneto and Professor X. It to really because it does what all great prequels should do. Tommy is that it makes you appreciate the other movies that much more, and that's why First Class is ultimately so high for me. So that's my number three. All right, that's fair. Um, my number three is Days of Future Past. Uh, which came out right after... Actually, that might have come out after The Wolverine, correct? 2014, one year 2014, later. okay. Um, and this is this is where the con- they kind of talk about the two timelines that we've been talking about. This is kind of where they separate everything. Um, Days of Future Past, the comic series, is the most convoluted comics anyone will ever read. Uh, and they did it justice in a two-hour, 15-minute film. Um, again... Hugh Jackman, great in it. Fastbender, top of his game. McAvoy is amazing. I love the visuals, especially uh, Magneto lifting up the baseball stadium or football stadium. Um, the Sentinels finally got to see them get their justice. And uh, this, the only problem I have with Days of Future Past is <gasps> Mystique's costume because uh, it looks like she's wearing a bodysuit. And Jennifer Lawrence's performance because I felt like she phoned it in a little bit. But other than that, this is as near of a perfect superhero movie as I've ever seen. Um, my number two, this is all right. So these next two for me are extremely close. This was a really tough one for me because they're both so different, <laughs> um, and I love them both so much for different reasons because um, they really are on opposite sides of the spectrum. Look, this is tough to rank at this point because we're still so fresh off of Logan, so this could definitely change, but barely my number two film is X-Men Days of Future Past. I adore this movie. It is just epic as hell. And I was so hyped for this film. You don't even I you don't even know. I, I, I could not wait to see this bad boy. And I knew even before the film started I was gonna love it because if you remember like when they're doing the whole Marvel studio or the Marvel comics logo on the screen, you can hear this like weird talk in the background where it sounds like people are like given orders and like robotic voices. And I was just like, Oh man, they're, they're already like setting this really like grim tone. The look of the film is amazing. That opening 10 minutes where you see all the future mutants just going freaking crazy is awe inspiring. It is epic. It is monumental. This achievement I thought Jennifer Lawrence was still really good in this. I think Apocalypse is where she she phoned it in. Um, fair point, though. I still think that Mystique was a very strong character in this movie. I really love all the things that they do with the 70s style. Uh, it's it, it, it's great. All the performances. Everybody gets their moment, whether it's a future character, a past character, present, whatever. <laughs> they, all, they all get their moments. The, the ending at the mansion is perfect. I love, love X-Men Days of Future Past. All right, now for you, it's gut check time. What's your number two movie? 
right. Well, let's go- also for Days of Future Past. Let's quickly point on Quicksilver because I didn't talk oh, about yeah, him as well. We, yeah, we both. The, how do we both not talk about that? Yeah, that goes the, without saying. The standout. Yeah, is uh, just that sequence is amazing, and he also had a great one in Apocalypse. So I'm not taking anything away from him. Uh, but my number two, and I also kind of had to think about this. I kind of went between the two. This was my favorite superhero movie for a long time until The Dark Knight came out, and then. But it's X2 uh, because that was just, I think I was 14, maybe 13 when it came out. And it was still pretty violent. It stuck true to the comic books for the most part. Every performance is great. And it's very centered around Wolverine himself. Uh, I've talked enough about the mansion scene. I thought until the chase scene and the Dark Knight, the truck chase scene, uh, that this was probably the best uh, scene put into a superhero movie. Um, which also ranks up there with the train sequence in Spider-Man 2. Uh, but I think X-Men and Spider-Man 2 came out right at the same time, and I just loved both of them so much. So X-Men 2 takes the number two, even though my third or fourth favorite character in all of the comics, Cyclops, again, as we said, doesn't get his justice in it. But Ian McKellen's breakout scene in that, uh, Rebecca Romaine's Mystique, where she's uh, uh, changing uh, between... Lady Deathstrike and then the janitor. I thought that was hilarious. I love the fight, Adam Manium fight with Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike. Uh, and I think Brian Cox is very underrated in this as well. Yeah, X2 is am- No, you're right. I mean, it's a great film. Uh, so, I mean, maybe it's because we're still in the afterglow, but it is hard not to watch Logan and say to yourself, it's the best X Men film. I-, I just, it's grounded. It's. It's it's heavy, but I mean that in the best way possible. That's how I like my superhero movies. And at the end of the day, it just leaves an impact on you. And look, as great as all the X-Men characters are in the universe, Wolverine is the best out of all of them. And it's the character that needed to get his due. Hugh Jackman, it's the character he always wanted to play. Was this Logan? Was this Wolverine? You know, it doesn't... It's not afraid to get ballsy doesn't take its audience for granted um and look it is i think it's probably going to stay that it is my favorite x-men movie and if we're talking about overall superhero rankings i still got to think about it i still probably would have logan below all three nolan batman films i know there are people screaming right now dan are you kidding me dark knight rises is better you're an idiot sorry that's how i feel but that could change after a couple more logan viewings but i do think that this is the movie that is the best superhero movie ever made, not a Christopher Nolan Batman film. Yeah, I, I said in my review, it is the only perfect superhero movie after The Dark Knight, which is high praise from someone who I has seen all of them. And the, most of them are great. There's some that are god-awful. You mentioned Catwoman, uh, Batman and Robin, Fantastic Four. But which one? As far as, which one? Well, any of the Fantastic Fours, to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but... Yeah, as, as far as it goes on the pedestal, obviously The Dark Knight sits the top of the chain. Good luck beating that anytime soon. But Logan is pretty freaking close. Um, it's just huge. It, like, you can't ask Hugh Jackman for... And you can't thank Hugh Jackman anymore for the 17 years he put into this character. Some of them terrible uh, origins, um, and then most of them great, however. Uh, I think they did a character justice who... Kind of fell by the wayside a little bit, came back. Some people have their gripes about it, but this is, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great way to go out. If this is indeed his last hurrah, 
you couldn't ask for anything more. And it should be. And I know that people are getting amped at the idea, like, oh, could he show up in a Deadpool movie? And there's even been, like, really low rumblings, like, could it ever happen, him in an Avengers movie? Don't come back, Hugh. Like, don't, I don't want to see it again. Like, you couldn't have ended it more perfectly. Look, that's me. I'm always going to be open to the idea, like, if it's a good script, if it works, fine. But I would prefer never to see him play the character again after what I just saw, which leads perfectly into let's just very quickly talk about what the future holds for the X-Men series. Now, I did a lot of my research on Wikipedia because you can always trust Wikipedia. So (laughs) what I have here is these are the movies that are in pretty strong development. uh, And now there are three. There are two official release dates in 2018 and then one in 2019. They just don't have titles attached to them, but obviously Deadpool 2, 2 is happening with Cable, um, different director, another first-time director, just like Tim Miller was, uh, David Leak is the guy's name, or Leach, I think is his name, and then they've already mm-hmm. talked about how there's going to be a Deadpool 3, which will lead into an X-Force movie, um, so I kind of, I think that's kind of cool, like Deadpool leading like the, the members of X-Force. Supposedly, Joe Carnahan is attached to that, who directed The Grey, which is really good. Um, Gambit, that movie is still kicking around uh, with Channing. Uh, I've, I've given him hope on Gambit, honestly. So we, so we, I, I almost blew my top when you talked about Gambit because he's one of my, he's one of my favorite X Men character as well, and as much as I have loved the X Men franchise, they've given me a lot of great films. The treatment of Gambit of not using him and the only time you see him is in the worst freaking X-Men film there is. And he's like, he's fine in that film, but you're talking, you're talking about a guy who wears, he's a suave ladies man with a Southern accent who wears a Brown trench coat. He throws explosively charged playing cards and has a really cool bow staff. And we still haven't seen this character in, I, Come on! It's really their one big failing. Get get your get your crap together on this movie. Fox has done a great job with these films, but for crying out loud, I'm not going to give up on Gambit, and that's only because I'm trying to freaking will this movie into existence. Do the Gambit movie. Yeah, I mean, the, there is a Gambit comic book was the very first thing I even remember reading as a kid, and I was just like, this is the coolest character I've ever seen. Like, he takes playing cards and puts energy into them and throws them and can yeah, blow yes. you up. It's like, that's the, one of the coolest powers that you see in comic books. Uh, and his backstory is so tragic. He's a, he's pretty much a scumbag. Like if you, if you read the comics, he's not a good person, but once he joins the X-Men, he, he's redeemed by all of them. Uh, he was redeemed by doing good because he essentially murders people and uh, leaves people behind and steals their money and all this stuff. And he is redeemed He's taken in by Professor X, and I think that would make a fantastic film right there. You don't even need to have Professor X. You just need the redeeming quality from this terrible person makes him into a good person. Two people, two directors have been attached to this film. They've both left. Rupert Wyatt, who did the first uh, rebooted Planet of the Apes movie from 2011. Doug Lyman was attached to the project for a little while. He directed The Born Identity in that Tom Cruise sci-fi film, Live, Die, repeat a uh, edge of tomorrow movies. man that's a good one yeah whatever the hell the movie is called now um look i and by the way i look i still think that movie's going to happen and i have a feeling that that's going to be rated r as well and i think that fox is going to complete the rated r trifecta what do i mean by that 
in Deadpool, the most it was no most noteworthy in its R rating for the language. Uh, for Logan, it was violence, and for Gamut, it could very well be rated R for the bow chicka bow bow. So that's true. Yeah. So because that's who the character is, so that could be interesting. Yeah. We'll see. Make that damn movie. Uh, right. I think it's movie. safe to say those are the three most beloved X like mutants in the X Men history too. Is you go Wolverine's always number one with most people. And then Deadpool and Gambit are right below. People love these characters. Producer Simon Kinberg, for those of you who don't know, he's basically like the godfather of this whole X-Men franchise. Like, he's the big, like, along with, I guess, kind of Brian Singer, too, still. Uh, he's the guy. So he's also, like, we've heard rumblings about, like, the X-23 movie. Could be interesting. I have mixed feelings about that one. Um, but then, of course, the big one is, and they're definitely doing this, like, Sophie Turner has confirmed that they're going to film this. Is the next X Men movie like the main one, um, which is heavily rumored to be a in the '90s and b doing doing the Phoenix uh, saga aspect right? Um, I want to know your thoughts on that one quickly. I have a crazy, crazy theory on what that film could be, but go ahead. Uh, I mean, if they look, I like the way they handled X Men Three. You weren't going to be able to take them to space and do that, no, like you did in the like it just wasn't going to happen. Um, but I would like to see a real good telling of the Phoenix. So I think if handled correctly, I'm all for it. Um, but they need to get a lot of things into place. For instance, like the Black Queen, and uh, they need to sign all the actors. Obviously, that's beside the point. Um, I would also like to see a Generation X, but that's just because I love the characters in the Generation X. So maybe they could blend the two. Uh, but go ahead on what your thoughts were for what the uh, the Dark Phoenix could be. Okay, so I have a crazy, crazy, ludicrous theory that will never happen. But, so we talked about in Logan how there's this whole allusion to uh, Professor, something really bad happened to Professor X where he obliterated uh, all the X-Men, basically, and a lot of mutants, right? So, I, I think it would be really interesting if you didn't necessarily do a time travel thing here, because we've already seen that, but you pulled a Godfather Part 2... And you huh. told the story in the 90s, also told the story in kind of the more future current timeline, bringing guys back like um, Famique Jansen and James Marsden. And there's been rumblings that this is Patrick, this is not Patrick Stewart's last X-Men movie. Here's why I'm kind of a proponent for this, is this would be a way to officially close the loop, close the door on the old the old guard X-Men series. So the franchise continues like with Deadpool, Gambit, you know, I'm sure they will cast Wolverine at some point. So that's something I think would be really fascinating and with Days of Future Past being such a big success, I think that that whole concept could really bring back people who are a little lapsed on X-Men Apocalypse. Um there's also been talk that Sinister would be a villain in this and I think that can fit well because the character of Dr. Rice and Logan was rumored and sort of has shades of who Dr. Sinister is or, or Mr. Sinister is. So you could bring that whole aspect in and maybe he, maybe his involvement leads to why Professor X freaks out, combine it with elements from the Phoenix saga. I think that would be a pretty bold way to go. So that's my, right. you heard it here first. I have you not heard seen it that anywhere. I have not oh, seen that anywhere on the internet. So, you know, thank you, Fox. If you want to roll with that idea, I'm all for it. So you Godfather part to it. 
Some of the movie takes place in the 90s. Some of it takes place more into the not-too-distant future, bringing back guys like Marsden, Jansen, Kelsey Grammer. Uh, and then you also give us one last ride with Stuart and Ian McKellen. Yeah, I could, you know, that's a great idea. I never thought about that in particular, but I, I like it. I say you get to writing it and send it in. Yeah, I, I will work on that. But like George Costanza, I'm going to end on a high note. So uh, circling it back to Logan, look, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, haven't seen the film, what the hell are you doing? But hey, go see it again. But seriously, look, I had a lot of hype for this movie and it blew him away. It blew it away. It's going to be, we have, I think, five more superhero movies this year. I can't even fathom one of those being better than this. This is going to stand as the best superhero film of 2017 in all likelihood, probably in my top five movies of the year. I love Logan and I'll just leave it like this before I give it back to you. Thank you, Hugh Jackman. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, God, like I'm excited for wonder woman, justice league guardians, Thor. Well, maybe not Thor, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited. You know, I, I love superhero movies. I, that's how I learned to read was comic book movies. So the fact that I now live in a world where, sure, there's a little bit of surplus of them, but something that I was considered a nerd for and kind of picked on for is now the kind of front runner in cinema makes me happy. And I kind of got the last laugh. Um, but definitely, I think Logan is it's not going to be beat by any of these, even if they're all great. Uh, some of them could suck. They could all be amazing. Definitely, Logan's going to be the front runner at least at this point i can't see anything beating it and i think also probably my top five by the end of the year you know we still got nine more months of film but it's yeah it's it's top of the barrel right now that's why i I saw it twice i probably will see it again i think i might see kong and then see logan right after again but yeah uh, not even just thank you hugh jackman i mean thank you patrick stewart as well you both uh have been with me since i was a kid and it's uh it sucks to see you go but at the same time there was uh, no, there was no better way to do it. I think it was handled perfectly. Well, much like uh, Hugh Jackman does in the poster of Logan, where he walks off into the sunset, we will do as well. Uh, so I'll just quickly plug: uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at D Cohen Writer uh, on Twitter, and you can get all of our great content on thepopbreak.com. Tommy, plug your social media. Sure, uh, you can find my Twitter at. Uh, Tommy Tracy movie reviews, all, all one word. I think it's all lowercase. Um, and also, I do have a Facebook page which I post reviews that I'm writing independently, Blu-rays that I watch, and TV shows. At uh, also Tommy Tracy movie reviews. Um, and then, of course, you can find anything I write on thepopbreak.com as well. All right. Well, thank you for joining in the Logan journey with me and uh, Bill. We Thanks. throw it back to you. Thank you, Dan. Once again, don't forget to check popbreak.com out on the internet at thepopbreak.com. We are on Twitter at popbreak.com. That's all spelled out. Forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook. If you want to see some really cool photos we have from concerts we've covered over the years, please go over to Instagram and check out at the pop break of course if you want to see some more of our videos which some of you may not know we even have uh go on youtube search pop break we've got interviews with the entire cast of the cw's hit series riverdale and if you want to follow dan and tommy online for dan follow him on twitter at d cohen writer and for tommy it is at t 
TG Movie Reviews. Thanks, and we'll see you again on the Breakcast.